Hello and welcome. My name's Ben. I'm the CEO of Charlie HR, and this is the Culture Ops Podcast. We're the podcast that's trying to lift the lid on the challenging situations that affect your business and your culture on a daily basis. Let's get into it. Welcome back to the Culture Ops Podcast. I found myself in a few conversations recently with founders at the beginning of their journey, considering what type of company they're building. Do they start remote? Do they begin in an office? Do they go more hybrid over time? When we were starting Charlie six years ago, remote was still in its infancy, and there didn't really feel like there was much of a choice as there is today. It didn't feel like when we were starting the business, we had to really decide between remote or in the office. One of the things founders are having to consider is how they choose to work and how that affects the culture they craft within their businesses. I'm really keen to explore both sides of that. And today I have a guest with me who is a staunch advocate for Remote First, a leader with 10 plus years in building Remote First organizations. Welcome to the show, Daphne LaForest, distributed workplace strategist and host of the Remote First podcast. Hey Daphne, how are you? Hey, thank you. Thank you for this nice introduction. It's really glad to be here. You are most welcome. Uh, tell us where you where are you coming from, where you're calling in from, and uh, also tell the listeners a bit about the work that you do today. So I'm actually based in Berlin, calling in from Berlin right now. I am originally from Canada. I am French-Canadian, so I have a little French accent when I speak English that you're here. Um, so I work as a distributed workplace strategist where I actually help leaders and executives in their transition mostly to a remote-first organization. This is something that you know many companies have been going through lately, and it's uh, it's been really uh, busy lately for, for companies wanting to to really succeed at this transition. So it is, I'm there to help them in, in different ways and trainings. Uh, I also do a one-on-one coaching. So it's it's been a lot of fun in the late, it's been a lot of fun in the past two years, definitely. Nice. Uh, and and how did you end up doing this type of work? Well, I'm, I'm naturally very, very enthusiastic about the let's say remote work movement has been many years that it's uh, it's been on my on my go to uh, it's been many years that it's been in my uh, in my heart um when i started working you know 10 years ago uh, early career actually i was really keen into searching how i could be able to work without having to I was really keen to see how I would be able to work and also take time to travel, which was really my my passion at the beginning. So when I was younger and we were starting a career, all you had in Canada, for example, was about two weeks of holiday per year. And it's the only time I really had to travel. And it didn't make much sense for me because I really loved doing it. And I was really looking for a way where I could merge both of them. And at that time, working remotely was very, as you said, you know, maybe in your company also, it was a very early adopters doing that. It was maybe only for developers or, or designers. People are very like technical and specific things, freelancers. It was hard to to get in there. But I was curious to know like how I could get in there to make my career, um, to be able to continue growing my career while uh, traveling, which was the incense of the beginning. Um, 
but slowly, slowly, while working remotely, I started working as a freelancer. I worked for fully remote companies. I slowly built my 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 career that way. I also was very keen to to help companies to create these job opportunities as well for other people to be able to do that just like me. So in 2015, uh, 2016, I I created uh, apps for that. I was a product manager, created apps for for digital nomads, for remote workers, and as well as organizing events to promote remote working. You know, we're talking about 2016, so we're talking before pandemic, where people who were speaking in these events were. Um, Buffers, Zapier, um, Basecamp, you know, all the classic remote companies. And I really wanted that to become um, a bit more mainstream. I was really hoping that one day remote would become mainstream. And funny enough, <laughs> just in the pandemic when it happened in 2020, it's just, it just fell onto me where a lot of people came and started asking questions about, okay, how do I do my business now that we're having to work from home? A lot of people came to me with questions. And I was like, this is the right time right now to really help companies to move on to a remote first um, culture and to help them really succeed at that. And this is why I actually move out of my product management background as a, as a professional to really focus more on that, mostly because it was my passion and also because there's a lot of people who needed help in that quite intense change management they have to go through. To, to go through. Yeah, and just before we jumped on the call, you were saying how, um, how I guess, you know, busy the last couple of weeks and months uh, have, have, have been for you, you know, lots of um, lots of requirement for what you do, um, which is great. Um uh, definitely also runs an awesome podcast that kind of examines uh, how great remote first organizations um, uh, how they're built. You know the 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 yeah the the bricks and the cement that go into building a great remote first organization. But today um, we're going to do as uh, we normally do. We're going to think about it from a culture angle. And I know this is one of the okay. questions that people have, and it and it gets thrown around a lot. Um, is you know what is what's the effect that that remote first um, has on culture, and uh, the first question I want to start with is what does a remote first culture actually look like, Daphne? Well, uh, first before I start getting into this, thank you for mentioning the remote first podcast, which is you will have a lot of uh, content there as well about culture there, so you can go have a look if you want to listen to more uh, content there. You will also be part of the guest, so I can't wait to have you on. Um, so the remote first culture at the ground, when we just start thinking about remote first, all it means is that we are thinking about the way we work and the way we interact and collaborate in a remote first way, which means that we put the virtual employee experience as a priority in the company. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be a fully remote company. It just means that the way you're working, you're choosing to, to really design your culture and design your processes and design your policies so that everybody is basically on the same level. I wonder if they work in, a, in an office, in a co-working space, at home in another country. It's all in the same. So basically, this is where it starts, a remote-first culture. Um, I mean, after that, I can, I, can trans, I can develop into like what it means to be remote. But I think that from now on, many companies have been 
experiencing what it is to work remotely, to work from from home with your computer or from another uh, location with your computer and working on Zoom and everything. But you know, this is just a kind of like the, the way we are working. But as a basis, it's just meaning that. So a lot of people are saying, oh, I don't want to use the work remote because it's not inclusive of uh, those who are working from um, other, uh, other offices or something like that. So a lot of people are using virtual first, for example, Dropbox is using virtual first and they are a company which is considered remote first to me, but also consider themselves as virtual first. Shopify call themselves digital by default. And this is all the same idea is that the first experience should be the virtual one. No wonder if you're an office or not, not office centric, basically. Yeah, I think that's really nice. Uh, what are some of the best examples that either you've experienced or mm. maybe from from guests you've had on the show, people that you've spoken to, like what do you what do you think some of the best examples of remote first cultures out there are? Well, there are definitely many. There are remote first cultures, of course. For me, I will always go towards those who are fully remote, as like this. Usually, they are really acing at making sure that everything in the company is thought through. Um, of course, you will think about GitLab recently because they were really, really in the press, but there's many other companies that have been out there that you've maybe didn't know they were actually acting in a very remote first way. So there was one of our guests from Elastic, for example, on a podcast that was on the beginning of the, the season. And I always followed Elastic for years because I actually used to hang out with people working there. And Elastic is a company based in the Mountain View and they have offices around the world and they, uh, they are an open source company. They always were open source before, I think maybe not anymore, but they were open source. And they always act in a very remote first way of working. So even if they had offices and people working in in the office, people would log in to their computer or go to a call on their computer. This was back in 2015. We're not in the pandemic right now. So they would go already on their computer. They would like connect there and then be able to work with people in the either remote or in another office in Amsterdam, for example. Um, and then they, I think, had a really good culture at, you know, growing extremely fast and be able to like keep, keep, uh, keep getting their team uh, on the same level wherever they are working from. Uh, another good one, I think, is um, HubSpot are working very hard on their culture. We had our director of culture, Amar Marina, that was there speaking on the podcast. And it's amazing all the effort that they've put together to really um, help their, their team thrive together wherever they are located. So this is more of like what I think we can go to uh, look for. Personally, um, I work for a fully remote company that was much smaller. Maybe it joined when they were 25 and left when they were about 80. And uh, well, something that really struck me when I worked there for the first time as a you know full, first time fully remote worker in the company was how the CEO was very very involved um, on, a, on a monthly basis, having one on ones with their teammates every month to make sure that uh, to make it with their teammates, having one on one with their employees. Uh, every month, for example, I would be able to have a one-on-one -on -one with him every single month to just check in and say like, hey, how are you doing? How can things be better? And uh, this thing made a lot of, created a lot of proximity with the team. The fact that you can have these one-on-ones uh, with, with someone who can help you grow in your career. And so-and-so that, you know, the company grew and of course he couldn't do this one-on-one -on -one forever because he would just end up doing that all the time. So it grew into the leadership team. 
But what happened is that after one year working there without ever meeting my teammates, when I met them for the first time in a company retreat after one year, I was hugging everyone there and felt like I was very, very close to everyone because we just had these kind of like culture of, of, of openness and transparency and just being okay with being vulnerable. And that was just something that really like touched me in my, my personal experience where I felt like I never had this in anywhere else where I work. I don't know if this is because it's a remote company, probably not. It's also just a, a good practice, I think. Um, but there was really that kind of like culture of like working in the open and being op uh, transparent. And this is definitely a must in a, in a remote culture because you're not seeing um, each other in, in person. You cannot have all these these social cues that you would get normally when you walk in the office and you can see someone is um, feeling not that great. You know, you, you can feel the body language of people when they come in the office. You don't have that when you're in a remote setup. I love that because one of the things that is sort of um, thrown around is it's you can't build meaningful relationships in a remote in a remote world. Um, and I think, you know, the example that you just gave is a really good example of building empathy, of building trust, of building closeness with people. Um, but there's a deliberacy to what you just described. And I think, uh, you know, for me, that's the biggest challenge that I think faces leaders when it comes to thinking about how they operationalize their culture is you have to be much more deliberate in a remote setting than you can be in a in a in a co-located setting because in a co-located setting there's a, a, a lot of natural human interaction that happens naturally and we can debate whether we think that's good or bad um but in a in a, in a setting where we aren't co-located and we need to work you know virtually first remote first digitally first asynchronously however we want to describe it um, we have to be so much more deliberate in our leadership style in creating those moments of connection. Um, and it's obviously absolutely possible, um, uh, but it takes some work. Uh, yeah, I think one of the really interesting things that you sort of touched on there was how deliberate you have to be in a remote-first setting. Um, you can't leave it up to chance um, for those interactions to happen. You have to think and be really, really focused around um, what are the types of interactions you're trying to create? And so um, I think successful remote cultures require a deliberateness. You know, you can't be a lazy leader um, in a remote first culture. And I think moving on to think about performance, do you think a remote first culture gives you a performance advantage? I don't think, I mean, necessarily it's a performance advantage. I think... Um, on different levels, so on a professional level, just as an individual, you might be more performance. To, to, you might be giving more performance in your work because you're able to focus, you're able to organize your own work and your own, um, you know, schedule because you're working from your home or from your dedicated workspace. You don't have all the interactions from the office, so that can help your performance. But it can also alter your performance in a way that if you are left on your own and there is no right processes and not good ways of communicating the way you're working or collaborating with your teammates, your performance could actually really drop 
because you're not able to to be up to date with everyone. Um, so this can actually be quite complicated if you ha- you have you know leaders or lazy lazy leaders as you were saying, which makes <laughs> a lot of sense that are not really thinking through how they're gonna make this work basically. <clears throat> as a company, I think the performance advantage that you can have um, is, for example, um, if you're providing an inclusive uh, work experience, both remote and in-office, employees will generate usually better performance overall because there is less misunderstanding, there's more uh, common understanding of the purpose of work, for example. So. If you are doing, um, if you are having remote workers and office workers working together and you are um, making sure that it is remote first in the way that you are working, so everything is thought through, um, yes, I think that could help you with being a better performance for sure. Two really, really, really interesting examples there. So you talked about the purpose of work, so Mm -hmm. being clear about why people are doing things. Um. Yeah, yeah. It's such a it's such a it's such a key it's such a key topic, and I think sometimes under under talked about and under looked at. But really, what you're sort of highlighting is the need for clarity, and that as humans, we work so much better when there is clarity about what's required of us, what success looks like, the reason why we're doing the thing that we're doing. Mm-hmm. If those things are in place. Um, then great work happens. And we have to be more deliberate with our communication when we aren't co-located in an office. Yes, because, I mean, you could always walk in an office, for example, and think, okay, look, our values are written on the wall. We have made a massive design to make sure that you understand our values. We make, like, look, like the first time you visit an office, you just got hired and you're like, this is the ping pong table. This is the our video game section. And then I would be like, what? okay, so what do we... Like, what do we do for work? Like, is it, <laughs> you know, we're, everybody goes to work to work. But at the same time, like, it's just, if 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 you're just showing, like, we're a remote company, um, we're giving you full flexibility, here you go, you're free, and uh, all the benefits are to you, do your great work. This is not enough to be able to really succeed in, in a remote setup. And it needs to be much more clear than that. And, you know, mostly communicating your values or the best way of working is not just by putting posters everywhere or or even just like writing it on a, on a Notion page and say like, this is who we are. There's a lot more work to be done there uh, on a day-to-day basis. And I think it's, it's very hard. It's not something that is going to be done just in terms of like, we're going to do a few couple meetings and then everything's going to be set up and we're going to have a, a strong culture. Um there's incremental things that happen that make a difference that are uh, making events uh, more fun, for example. Um, I mean, I don't want to get into the whole like, uh, you know, the whole like uh, we're having happy hour on Zoom because I'm I'm not necessarily thinking this is the best way to have a remote work culture. Um, but it's just like small things like that and small things like, uh, like I was saying that where you are showing that you have a culture of empathy, for example, in your company, and you are doing it by um, showing example, be be there, ask for, uh, you know, come to you ask for check-ins, be present as a leader to show that you 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 are there it will make a difference in your culture in the long run. Hmm. I, I want to pick up, pick something out real quick that you just said, okay. which was 
we offer full flexibility. And, I, and I'd be interested to sort of understand where you come down on this because it, it, my view is that within any team that's high-performing, there should be a level of compromise because we're like a unit of people that are trying together. Do you think the, the best remote environments, the best remote cultures allow individuals to completely tailor the experience to them? Or do you think the best cultures and the best remote environments provide constraints for people to work effectively in with the other people that they need to be effective with? I mean, it's a good question. So basically what you're meaning is, is it, if you, if you just give flexibility, basically, is it going to be just basically creating a free-for-all where it might not uh, bring everybody together? Is it not better to have some flexibility, but some kind of guidance around it? Basically, that's your question. Yeah. So if I give you the example, if I say to you, Daphne, you can work as you like. And then I say to me, I can also work as I like. And I like to work in the mornings. I want to start at seven. And I kind of want to be done by like two, three o'clock. Whereas you're like definitely an afternoon and evenings person. And like, you know, you're only getting going at three o'clock. In, in that, in that example, we're both tailoring in a very simplistic way. We're tailoring our, tailoring our working days to what works perfectly for us. We aren't thinking about what do we need to achieve together as a team to be effective. Yeah. yeah. And like companies are not individuals. They are, they are teams. They're groups of teams. Yeah, exactly. It is much easier for individual contributors to really set you know, their framework of where they want to work as if they're individual contributor. If you're a manager or even like a team leader or a project manager, someone who actually has to like move things forward, it's very, very hard to set up your own schedule without having to, uh, you know, kind of be available at many different times in the day and just end up in an always-on culture. So, I mean, in the end, I think there's there's flexibility of like understanding everyone's, um, you know, need to to work. But you know, in, even in a in a I don't know, fully remote company that I've uh, encountered, we created teams according to their time zones, for example. Trying, like most of the like uh, high-performing remote teams are hiring according to like some groups of people that can have some overlap. So have some time that in-sync uh, work where you just need to to catch up. There. Not everything can be work in the asynchronous manner, which means uh, working, communicating in ways that you just can Write down your your work. For example, you were using collaboration tools. You write your comments. You leave someone else, take it from there, continues. There's a lot of things that we can do asynchronously, but there's a lot that needs to be done also a little bit in, in synchronous. It just makes things move, move a bit sm smoother. So usually I think in terms of framework for that, it gives flexibility, but you can also just say, for this role, we want to hire in that time zone because it's just easier. We have a team working on this. Maybe it's going to be per department, maybe it's per project and things like that, but definitely helps to have this in place. Then after there is processes of how you're working. So if you're deciding that we're making our best effort to work asynchronously to be able to allow people to have their own schedule, um, but then there might be some times where you need to be in a specific time uh, as well as everyone else. Um, but, you know, tools and, and uh, you know, are not, tools are still evolving. Like there's so many new tools are being built to enable better work collaborations. Um, 
I'm still amazed by what exists and what comes. Uh, I see like in the podcast, I'm discovering with the startup series, all different tools, uh, for example, uh, audio meeting, asynchronous audio meeting, which is completely like surprising to me that you could have like an audio meeting asynchronously uh, with Yak. So it's just very interesting to see like what comes. But in the end, I think my personal opinion to this, which is not necessarily like what is the best or you know, but my personal opinion to this is, I think the best is you provide flexibility and at the same time, you give some guidance in your team and you decide as a team, what is the most efficient way for us to be, to work together? So I guess my question is, is there a line? Is there a line? Is there a line? You know, are, is there a point at which we just become individuals working Right. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. I get it. No. What, working like, on our own in a way. Like, what's the limit? <laughs> yeah. What's the limit? You know, like I think I have a fundamental view that organizations are, a te- the best organizations are team based. Does, <clears throat> are there elements, I guess, are there dangerous elements of remote work that could make us maybe more selfish about what is perfect for us versus what is important for the team that we work in and and the organization that we work in. I guess that's what I'm trying to understand. Like, where's the line? Where's the limit? Mm. I mean, everyone, everybody's line is different, you know, for this. Um, I think in general, you know, you're working for a company, you're being hired somewhere. Like there is definitely a expectation of your work that is outside of like, okay, the way I am working needs to be, it doesn't have to be too meta all the time, you know? <laughs> like We're still trying to move forward uh, the company goals. And in the end, like when you're getting hired to work on a product, it's for the product outcomes and then the company outcomes. Like that's basically like why you're working. So like this should always be part of the, the, the decisions of like, what you're going to be accepting in your in your line as a manager or, or a company leader uh, when you are having uh, remote workers. Um, but it's not just about remote work. I think it's in, in general, it's everything, you know, it's just because in office, because things were very visible, we were not actually questioning them. Uh, when people had to leave work to go pick up their kids, they were in a little bit looked at like, uh, I'm not sure they're really working that much. I'm staying until six and you know, I really work really hard. Or like, when you are working in, in uh, from home, this is just slowly becoming just part of people's life and part of like what is accepted now that people all have their life first. And then work is just part of like of life. And we have to just adapt things. And this is just now with remote work, it's less visible. All the things that happens in your life is it, or, or it's more visible and less visible. Basically, like if you stop working and you go do something and you come back, it's going to be as visible as like, I'm in the office. I'm just going to go out and do a, a, like an errand and come back. And then you won't see that. And if you see it in the office, you might think mm, that person does not work very well. It's not very um, involved uh, in their product, not really, really caring for their job or something, which is not, definitely not the case. It's just mixing a bit more of life with work that you have more when you're working remotely. Mm. Yeah, I think I think, I think you're right. And I'm, I'm such a big advocate for work being a component of life you know rather than the other way around yeah I always said that for me it's the same thing I just I always said like try to fit your work uh, around your life and not the other way around it's always yeah. like my mantra <laughs> you know you only get one life 
So, yeah. you know, this this minute that we're spending right now talking, we're not getting back again. So, you, you know, you want to try and make it valuable and at least enjoyable. Um, yeah. I, I guess there's a, there's a reflection that I have on all of this that is probably, you know, I don't think it's a topic that we've got time to discuss today, but there is a, there is a move in society towards, I, I guess, being able to be individually centric. I, I get to work in a way that I want. I also get to order anything off Amazon, whatever I want. It will come within a day. You know, mm. you're in Berlin. I bet there's a gorilla's, you know, um, delivery. Oh, yeah. I mean, I do not go to the grocery store anymore. <laughs> like I went to the right. grocery store this morning and it was just like a first in forever. <laughs> Anyways, this is another topic. But So I guess my question is, as we kind of think about how we are working is evolving and technology is amazing in allowing us and creating flexibility and freedom. Are we missing and are we losing out on a bit of the uncomfortableness of life and a bit of the challenge of life that is maybe quite important for us as human beings? Like if you think about our evolution, so, so much of what makes us human beings has come from struggles has come from difficult moments, different difficult chapters. And I sort of, I look at the next 20, 30 years and I'm like, we are basically in the moment where we're able to craft our lives, get what we want whenever we want, do what we want whenever we want, go anywhere we want whenever we want. And that's an amazing thing. But I guess maybe it could also be a bad and a difficult thing. Um, I don't know what you think about that. I'm not sure how to... Take what you just said. I'm just gonna stop one second because, like, you was very, you were, it was very interesting what you were saying. Um, I just want to kind of. It's a very macro, through. macro point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I love it. Like, is this why? Yes. Um, but what you want to know mostly is, um, what's my take on? Is there a downside? On the fact that we're all becoming individualistic and yeah. like. Is there is there is there a downside yeah, okay. of that, and do we need to be? Conscious of it, I guess. Mm -hmm. One of the problems that I've seen before even the pandemic, um, and that was already kind of tackling uh, in conferences or in events where I was talking about remote work, is how remote work can actually create a lot of isolation. And people work all in their little boxes at home on their own and don't have face-to-face. -face. I actually used to be an extrovert person. And I'm very introvert now. I'm very shy in 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 person, which would my parents, my family would never think that of me, the, the ten years ago, because I'm, I'm I was very very comfortable talking to people. But I actually lost a bit of that skill because it's actually like it's a muscle to be social, to be able to uh, feel confident with people. Um, so there is definitely a downside. There is also. Um, all that isolation and that lack of awareness of like how people are actually feeling. When, what I was saying earlier, where when you move into the office or you move in, uh, you go in, in person meeting people, you can feel like, hey, that person, my friend doesn't feel like, like they're doing really well today. You can really feel it. You can see it. Where in the camera, in a screen, it's very difficult to see the little social cues in your little screen. And which leads me to saying that We've seen a lot more now investment into mental health at work. 
um, in the past two years. And also for us, I mean, even before when we work remotely, it was a really big part of like the reason why these one-on-ones and these like check-ins, um, mental health support, making sure that we're avoiding burnout and isolation and be able to see this, the cues of uh, somebody who's struggling even if you're not seeing them in person. And that's actually where I think at Hope there's a lot more tools and services and things that will exist to really help companies do that. Because it's a, it's going to be like definitely raising a bunch. It, there's a lot of plus coming to flexibility, but there's also a lot of like downside that can happen also to your team. I agree. I, I definitely agree. Okay, I'm going to move us on because we can get you know bogged down in the f- philosophical um uh, consequences <laughs> of remote work and and yeah that's maybe another conversation for another day um mm-hmm. do you think that remote work and remote cultures puts off certain types of team members like something members wouldn't like to be remote for example they would be like oh no that's not for me for example yeah because the way it the way it's described is sort of like remote is this automatic like amazing experience Benefit. and you can it's, oh yeah. wow but I'm, I guess I just want to challenge the maybe counterpoint to that yeah I mean remote has been I think a benefit for introverts a lot um it's been you know mostly uh, advantageous for for that where you don't have all the stress of like the in-person that you could get if you work in an office but it's not for everyone like many people actually really thrive in having you know getting out of their house, being able to go to a place where you're going to work with people, have interaction with people, um, uh, you know, it, it, people become their friend, become part of their 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 routine, their life, and then they come back home and they, they have a separate life and they really like that kind of separation. So, no, I don't think that remote is definitely for everyone. Definitely some people would be like, you know, I cannot wait to be able to be in person. So... It, it, there is definitely the specific aspect that are not made for everyone there. There's definitely like a downside to just closing to saying the same where people set up for everyone. Remote work is not for everyone. Yeah, and I think it's important that we are honest and open about that fact. I think uh, maybe in the media at the moment, it's it's sort of presented as this uh, utopia, like this amazing experience and this, this amazing... Um, benefit and there are so many benefits from it one of the things that we like to do on the culture ops podcast is understand a little bit about what the kind of tools and tactics specifically policies and processes that people can implement that help craft their culture um in in a way that is really effective and and i want to come on to that because you were talking about uh i guess the care and attention that is provided to mental mental well-being uh, mental health in a kind of remote context and the rise that we've seen in that um yeah like what's your what's what's been your experience of that what have you seen what are the examples that that you've seen from companies out there doing it really really well well there's um i think first first and foremost in terms of a, a tactic to to help companies to help a company to thrive in their culture is really have a team that is dedicated to that just that, the employee experience. So that team is basically in charge of, you know, doing the whole process from from hiring, onboarding, um, the journey of working at a company, all the way to offboarding, and making sure that, you know, every single part of that remotely is thought through. And it really changed from companies to the other, so it doesn't have to definitely be the same thing for every company. 
Um, but as you said, for example, for mental health, you know, having clear policies about that definitely is a good tactic, having um, uh, good tools for people in their location that they can go to if they need help. Uh, uh, so, you know, uh, mental health numbers, things like that, but also um, a, a way to be able to feel like you can be very open to your your leader, to your managers, um, to your your CEO, having a way that the people have a right to speak up, basically. So in in your policies, make it clear that there is a process to to raise an issue. Um, how if someone is actually struggling, what do they do to get better at their role if they're struggling at and, and it, for them not to feel like they're going to be looked down if they actually speak up. It's very important to 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 feel that um, that trust, basically. Um, so one ex- example, so this is just to, to kind of close the, the topic of mental health that you were saying. But if I come back to the, I think a team that's in charge of that. So there is an example, you can actually go online. There is, um, we, I had the, head of internal communication and culture from Hopin that was on the podcast. And they uh, did something really cool where they have a team called the Vibe Team that is really just in charge of exactly that, of the employee experience. And they are a fully remote company that grew, uh, my God, from like 200 all the way to almost 1,000 now in one year during the pandemic. So they grew extremely fast and they had to be very um, conscious about uh, their culture and, and their ways of working to make sure that this would scale and people would still feel the sense of belonging and the sense of, you know, accomplishment uh, at work, even if they are fully remote. And they really have in place uh, a lot of different events. They have like town halls that, that, that are uh, super open and re- not too much moderated. So it really feels like there is a there's an FAQ at the end and it's not too moderated. You really can ask a question directly to the leadership team. Um, I think that part of, of openness and, and making it uh, easy to to ask questions and, you know, it, it's it's hard. It's hard for company leaders to have these <laughs> employees that are asking strong questions. But when you are building that kind of culture, um, I don't know, it feels... I feel like it unites people and people are actually feeling more um, uh, involved in the company, are more uh, eager to really want to get, they're more eager to really want to be present in the company and really do their best at their work, I think. This is really what I think for that. Um, And in general, you know, there's many other things that I could say about uh, different policies that you can do. Um, Another thing that we often forget is... um, the holiday policies that you have when you're a remote company, it's very, very often when you're fully remote, people don't really think that they need a day off because they, they work from anywhere or they work, you know, they adjust their work around their life. They don't take sick days as much. Um, so it's kind of important that, that there is a follow-up there, that people do take their day off and do take their sick days. So either, you know, making sure that um, they 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 have a set of days minimum to take. There's some companies that do unlimited uh, holidays, for example, and we're fully remote, we're unlimited holiday, but in the end, people don't take holidays because there's no minimum and then they, in the end, actually feel quite burned out. So it's, um, I think a holiday policy is actually quite important, even if you're a fully remote uh, company, uh, to really thrive there. And then 
I could go on, but I think um, you were about to say something. <laughs> no, it's good. I think, um, yeah. <laughs> No, I, uh, I I love the I love your examples about mental health. I love your example about holiday policy. We um, we had a unlimited holiday policy for about five years, um, and uh, we ended up getting rid of it for that exact mm. reason that you just talked about, which is that people didn't take enough holiday. Yeah, which is crazy. People think like, oh, they will just make uh, too much holiday. You know, they like, I don't want to do this, otherwise people will never work. But it's not what happens. <laughs> Right. And and policies are as much about what we want people to do as what they are about what we don't want people to do. And I think often people see policies as things they can't do or things they shouldn't do rather than actually also as a tool for saying this is what we want to encourage. These are the kind of things that we that we want to do. This is the kind of ways and behaviours that we want to see from the people in our team. Um so Daphne, at the beginning of the podcast, I said that, you know, I've been having conversations with early stage founders who are thinking about what's the type of culture they want to craft and how location plays into that and how the way they work plays into that. Have you had any conversations with people that are maybe considering if remote is right to, for them? And if you have, what are the things that you say to convince them that it's the right decision? <laughs> That's a good question. And also mostly because before the whole pandemic, I was called the remote work preacher because I used to always just be like, remote is the best. You have to go remote. Remote is the ideal and everything. Um, I mean, I don't... Before, I used to really want to convince people to be remote and want to like understand that this is, you know, what is the future of work and it's important and everything. Today, I would say I don't try to convince anyone about wanting to be remote or not. I think it's a choice of like the kind of company you want to be. And in today's age right now, with a big shift to we're going, there is a big war of talent. And, you know, you always want the best talent in your company. Now with remote work, you can hire all over the world. You can hire um, from different countries. Make sure that you're compliant, but you can hire, you know, anywhere. Um and in the, in the in the same way, you can um, the talent that you are hiring. If you do not go remote or you do not allow remote work, for example, people will just move on to somewhere else, or they will do it. Otherwise, unless you're really clear that this is not part of your culture, this is not part of like who you are as a company. People who don't want to be remote maybe will go to your company. <laughs> but if you're kind of like in between, you're like, oh, we kind of want to offer it a little bit, like a little benefit or something. It might not be enough because there will be a lot and lot and lot more job opportunities now and people will follow what they want. So I think usually the best con like way to convince people usually is more like, well, you might be losing uh, talents if you if you don't do it or if you if you don't do it, you just might. If you don't not necessarily if you don't do it, if you don't think about it and try to actually adjust for those who want to be flexible, you might be losing talent. So that's mostly what um, I say to people, but I do not convince anyone now that you have to be a remote company to succeed. It's more, you know, do you want to compete in today's, who do you want to compete with as an employer? Who are you going to compete with? Who's right for you? Uh, <laughs> Daphne, any, any last words before we sign off? 
Uh, no, you can. Uh, I mean, you can always come and uh, follow me for the Remote First podcast if you want to hear more about uh, Remote First strategies. Uh, we talk about different leaders with different leaders from different big companies. We had the Dropbox, Slack, uh, GitLab coming. So you can come in to the podcast. Um, otherwise, you know, always you can reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm super chatty, really reachable. So feel free to contact me if you have any questions after, after the, this podcast. Super nice. Um, yeah, absolutely. I can 100% recommend uh, the Remote First podcast. Um, I'm going to be appearing on it um, over the next couple of months as well, which I'm very excited for. And bringing today's episode to a close, I need to say a big thank you to Daphne for joining us today. Thank you, Daphne. And I need to thank uh, Mel, our producer from Behind the Virtual Glass, as always, keeping the show on the road. To all of you who are listening along wherever you are, uh, we really appreciate you. Uh, if you've enjoyed this episode and are feeling generous, please do head to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. Uh, we look forward to seeing you all again soon. I've been Ben branson Gately, your host, and this has been the Culture Ops Podcast. Culture Ops.